You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. cyber conflict and its place in the international order, including especially its place in Russian-American relations, the implications of the Mirai botnet and the release of its source code, Kaspersky breaks the Mars joke crypto ransomware, Russia indicates a crackdown on cybercrime, maybe, industry notes and from the black market, the shadow brokers still haven't found their ideal buyers. I'm Dave Bittner in Washington, D.C., with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, October 4th, 2016. To state the obvious, cyber conflict doesn't occur in a political, military, or strategic vacuum. Its stakes and conditions are set by broader concerns, even, especially, the 400-pound hackers out there who live in meat space, or perhaps bacon space, and retain some connection to the non-virtual world. Obvious as this may be, it's worth a periodic reminder that it's so. We're getting that kind of reminder this week as we attend the 2016 Association of the United States Army meeting and exposition. It's been interesting to get the perspective of those whose business it is to think long and hard about the dangers of the world. We've been enjoying some interesting conversations with our hosts and colleagues in the Military Cyber Professionals Association. We had a chance today to talk at length with the author of NATO's Talon Manual, the best source known to us of thinking on international norms in cyber conflict. We'll have that interview tomorrow, so be sure to check it out. In today's news, much continues to be made of the recent Internet of Things botnet-driven distributed denial-of-service attacks. The source code used to herd the Mirai botnet was released late last week, and it's been under inspection since. There's a good news, bad news angle to this particular story. That the code is out is bad news, since it's now available to other copycats and derivative hackers who will no doubt seek to make more use of it in the wild. The good news is that it's clear how the herding worked. It exploited default passwords carelessly left in place by users. 61 default passwords were enough to assemble what was at the time the largest DDoS attack on record. The victim of that attack, Krebs on Security, has taken a look at the affected devices and, in conjunction with other researchers, has identified some of the hardware used in the attack. Many of the devices were older ones, and the news is in some respects encouraging. More companies, including such leading device manufacturers as Hikvision, Samsung, and Panasonic, are now requiring unique passwords by default. 
This isn't, of course, an infallible security measure, but it's a step in the right direction. The CyberWire heard from Rod Schultz, vice president of products at Rubicon Labs, who compared the modular reusable code blocks found in IoT products to Lego. These software Lego can be stacked to rapidly create new products, but those products also share the same vulnerabilities, he said. They can also be rapidly exploited and repurposed to hit different attack surfaces. And that, according to Schultz, is exactly what we are seeing with the Mirai IoT botnet. He thinks we'll do well to prepare ourselves for more attacks of this kind. To return to some better news, there's some out on the ransomware front. Kaspersky has cracked the polyglot Mars joke crypto ransomware, and they have a tool available to help comfort the afflicted. So, bravo, Kaspersky. In the U.S., concerns about election hacking and voter influence persist, and Russia is the source of those concerns. Relations between the two countries are not growing warmer, and conflict in other areas is likely to spill over into cyberspace. U.S.-Russian relations grew noticeably colder this week, as Russia formally withdrew from a bilateral plutonium control accord in response to sanctions the U.S. has levied against Russia over the past two years. Those sanctions were put in place largely in response to Russian encroachment into Ukraine. The Russian point, being made quite explicitly in public statements this week, is that U.S. imposition of costs, a centerpiece of American cyber policy, will itself have costs for the Americans. There's another development in Russian policy that has some direct implications for cybersecurity. Russia will now treat cybercrime as theft and not fraud, as it had formerly done. This is regarded by many observers as a positive development. Theft is prosecuted more aggressively than fraud, and it carries more severe penalties. When it comes to defending against malware, there's no shortage of solutions on offer, and there's a spectrum of philosophies on how to best spend your resources. Igor Volovich is from Romad Cyber Solutions, and he maintains that if we're going to succeed, it's time to reconsider traditional approaches, like, for example, signature-based systems. Well, a signature is like a fingerprint, right? Uh, you um, have a specific set of criteria and uh, attributes that describe a file. Uh, typically, there is a hash associated with that file, which is its unique cryptographic uh, signature. And uh, you can go off of that. Uh, there is also uh, some behavioral characteristics, or what we used to call heuristics back in the day, that you can employ. But by and large, it's a one-to-one -one relationship. There is a single malware sample, and then there is a specific signature designed to detect that sample. Uh, it is a string matching, pattern matching function. That's been the traditional way to look at things. For every new exploit, we have to go find a new signature. So that one-to-one -one signature based relationship, it was no longer sustainable. It still is not. Yet, there are very few solutions that really address that problem. We're looking at it from a cyber criminal value chain. How is malware monetized and who makes the money and when? Well, it turns out everybody's making money in that chain from the original uh, person who's discovering the vulnerability, to the guy who weaponizes it, to the guy who creates the exploit kit, to the guy who monetizes it at the very end, the person who's actually spamming out or, or sending out phishing emails, sending out ransomware emails, everybody in that chain is making money. Now, the guy at the top of that chain, that's the guy I want to get to. Unfortunately, the industry has focused on these kind of law enforcement-based attribution models, is what we call them, where we want to find who's doing it, raid their house, find out which ISP is supporting them, go knock them down, 
put them in jail, etc. And you know, FBI likes to release big uh, press releases and talk about the busts that they've made, and those are great things, and they need to happen. Unfortunately, that's not scalable. So without going on a cyber whodunit hunt every time we have a new family or a new exploit kit released, how do we just focus on the tradecraft? And it goes to the very root of the problem, finding out the immutable characteristics of malware families, not just strains, but actual big families. And then focusing on that tradecraft, detecting it in real time, and then blocking its execution on the endpoint, in the cloud, or possibly even across the network. Is, is it an all or nothing thing? Does, is there still a place for signature matching? Well, it's it's like uh, hygiene, right? You know, you want to wash your hands before you eat a meal, right? There are basic things, best practices that we've followed for a long, long time. Uh, there are some ingrained notions in this industry, and we've sort of conditioned the market to accept antivirus as a very basic, foundational, fundamental part of sort of the, the security stack, as we call it, the the portfolio of services and tools that we have in the enterprise. So, from a psychological perspective. I think a lot of folks are very tied to the hip to the idea of antivirus needing to be there. And if that's the barrier to entry for these new technologies, so be it. We're not trying to uh, upset the apple cart, so to speak, but we should not be accepting the eventuality of compromise, the notion that everybody's going to get breached, whether you know it or not. And we think we need to move beyond that. So what is the next evolutionary step? The next evolutionary step is actually disrupting cybercrime and cybercriminal tradecraft, elevating our thinking, evolving our thinking, and then demanding that the industry evolve with us to provide the solutions that can actually deliver this capability to the enterprise and to the public at large. That's Igor Volovich from Romad Cyber Systems. In industry news, Carbon Black is said to be preparing for an IPO. It's also partnering with IBM to take on competitors in the endpoint security market. In the long-running discussion of what induces boards to take cybersecurity seriously, it turns out that the easiest risk for a board to understand is compliance risk, at least according to a study Osterman Research conducted on behalf of Bay Dynamics. That's mixed news at best, since it would seem to cede standards development to regulators and to reinforce tendencies toward a check-the-box approach to security. And finally, the shadow brokers still haven't found any takers for those Equation Group Zero Days they say they have for sale. So hop to it, Zero Day shoppers. There are bargains galore. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Uh, Ben, the Department of Justice is asking for an amendment to Rule 41. Uh, This has some uh, significant uh, repercussions for online privacy and cybersecurity. Let's start at the beginning here. Explain to us uh, what are we talking about with Rule 41? Sure. So Rule 41 is under the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure, and it allows the Federal Bureau of Investigations or the FBI to go ask a judge to allow them to install malware to hack into computers that uh, are believed to be connected to various criminal activities. So generally we're talking about, you know, some of the most heinous things that can be on the internet. Uh, Chatter, social media chatter among terrorists, child pornography, drug trafficking. Currently there's a significant limit to Rule 41 in that judges can only authorize intrusions into computers within their own jurisdictions. And the reason that's a limit is because oftentimes we don't know exactly whether the individual putting the information on the internet is actually within that judge's jurisdiction. I mean, with all the complications with routing and and, uh, and IP addresses, it's very hard to identify whether a particular individual is putting information on the internet uh, within a, a particular judge's jurisdiction. So uh, the DOJ is proposing to change the rule to limit that restriction. And they also are trying to expand the reach of authority of Rule 41 by authorizing the federal government to get permission to hack a number of computers. Uh, this article that, that you sent me, Dave, quoted up to a million computers with just a single warrant. Uh, and that presents major constitutional concerns. I mean, one of the reasons we have the Fourth Amendment and and one of the reasons that the Founding Fathers were so adamant about it is that uh, we descended from a system in England where they had general warrants, where the police could basically come into a person's house looking for not a specific piece of information, but just granting them the ability to find what they could find and charge based on whatever they could find in a person's house. And I think courts and judges have been very reticent to these kind of broad general warrants that aren't specified based on probable cause uh, against an individual. So there's been an an effort in the United States Senate led by a couple of the the lead civil libertarians uh, in the Senate, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon and Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, uh, to try and stop this amendment. It's uh, scheduled to to go into effect in in December. If I had to guess, I don't think that, A, there's an appetite uh, for some sort of legislative fix to this amendment, and uh, be with all the distractions with the presidential race and some of the must-pass pieces of, of legislation now before Congress. I just don't think this is an issue that Congress is going to take up in the next three months. So I think it's very likely that we do see these, uh, these new rules go into effect. All right. Ben Yellen, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.